Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to The How of Business with David and Henry. Hello, Henry. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you, Dave? Good, good. How's your week been? Week's been good. Been busy. Uh, spent the weekend at a conference learning about some uh, new investment opportunities and then been busy this week working with clients, mostly on business planning. That's that's something that people who are starting a business always need help with. And in particular, which uh, we'll segue into what we want to talk about tonight, is planning for hiring and how you're going to go about doing that. It's a big topic. You and I have been chatting about it recently, in fact, as it affects us. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be part podcast, part therapy session, I think, <laughs> for me, because this is my biggest issue with my businesses is hiring um, it's a huge challenge for small business, and uh, we're going to give you some ideas and tips maybe to make it a little easier. Yeah, it, it's definitely a big issue for all small business owners. We, like you just alluded to, both you and I have been challenged by this. And I think I think it, I was trying to summarize kind of one some of the reasons why. Um, obviously, when we're hiring positions, different positions, and we're going to mostly talk about today – uh, everything from an hourly worker on up to maybe a general manager or a project manager. So anything in that range from from hourly to salary. But the point is that we don't have a lot of employees typically when we're talking about a small business like ours. And so every hire is fairly critical, especially the, those manager positions. They certainly the manager positions tend to report to us directly. So we have that challenge of balancing between hiring somebody we like and also at the same time making sure they've got the right skills and experience. And I think that's where it gets tricky. Okay. So yeah, bring up one good point as far as small businesses are concerned. Every hire is a critical hire. We don't have an accounting staff. We might just have a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. We don't have, we typically don't even have an HR department. Right. We might have one manager. We don't have multiple managers. So any other issues you see with small businesses that uh, make it difficult well, for hiring? I think that's it. And then we are we are busy with the running of the business, the things we really should be paying attention to. So I think we tend to want to rush through this process. We need to get it done. We've got this open position. It's not like you said, it's not like one of several managers that I need to hire. It's the one person, which means not only am I having to distract from running the business, whether it's leading sales or product development or whatever it might be, uh, but but now that a lot of times that responsibility now has been falling on me. Let's go down the path of a bookkeeper as an example. It, it has meant then that maybe you now have to do the accounting, which is the last thing you want to get bogged down doing, but you have to do it. So you have right. that pressure. You've got the mounting pressure of it's distracting you from what you should really be focused on. And so that tends to maybe rush the process. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And we're talking about a real world situation here where a couple of weeks ago I was actually having to do accounting and bookkeeping because I was in between bookkeepers. A lot of the things that I remembered doing way back when I forgot. So <laughs> it was even adding to the frustration of having to go back and relearn tasks and techniques that were needed for bookkeeping. That's right. That's right. So in our 
first part podcast episode on this topic of hiring, we covered the, the first step or the first steps related to this, which is uh, starting with a job description, a definition of what this position is, uh, and the, the responsibilities, the duties, the skills, and so forth. We talked about uh, different tools that we've used, and especially here recently, to advertise the position, to post it, and how that has helped us with the entire process. And then we got into some of our interviewing and screening techniques, um, and that's where we left it off in our part one. Part two, where I would like to pick up, Dave, is on one subject that you've given a lot of thought to and have implemented and have worked with, and that is using assessment tools as part of the qualification process to help you decide if someone is a fit. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we were going, had a pretty high turnover rate at the car wash, and it was frustrating me. And I was wondering, was there anything out there? I was working with a consultant and I was kept asking the question, is there anything out there that can help you identify the characteristics of an individual that might make them more successful than others? And so I kept pushing him, pushing him. And the consultant I was working with said, yeah, we use, we've been using a tool. We have a tool that we've been using. Uh, but it was kind of on the back burner. He was more focused on consulting at the time than assessments. And I think through the course of our conversations, he realized that he had been teaching management courses for probably the past five years. And he's given every manager that's come through his course this particular assessment tool. Mm -hmm. And so he realized he had a pretty good database of managers and he knew through talking with his network which managers were successful and which ones were not. So based on that, he was able to take between five and 10 successful managers and actually create a model uh, to say this particular person can have the attributes to help them make help them be more successful than others. So based on that, we started using an assessment tool uh, for people in different roles, different positions, because we look at different things, obviously, for people. And you're looking at basic innate characteristics of an individual. So does an individual have high dominance or low dominance? Do they have high extrovert or low extrovert? And then you determine, there's two ways you can do it. You can, you can say, what do I think I need for this position? Or you can match it up against people you think in the role do a good job. And you can say, I, wanna, I want another one of these. And you can match this individual, this candidate, up against this assessment and see how what the percentage fit would be for that particular role. And what it does, uh, what an assessment I think does, is it gives you some empirical data to make a decision on. Now, I've been talking with a lot of people about assessments and how they use assessments for hiring. And some organizations say if they don't meet a certain percentage fit, then we just don't hire them. Mm -hmm. uh, or some people use it as kind of a, another decision point to make decisions. For, I'll give you an example. So for the extrovert characteristic, if somebody's going to be working with customers, you typically want them to have high extrovert capabilities. You can interview somebody, think they have qualifications, you like them, you think it's going to be a good fit, and then you give them the assessment, and then you realize that they're probably only a 45% fit. And at that point, you've got to decide what you want to do. And what most people have been communicating to me about assessments is that person might do a good job for you, or they might be able to fit into that role, but it's going to be challenging for them. They're going to have to expend quite a bit of energy. If they're not an extrovert, for example, and you're putting them in a customer service role, 
it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of energy from them to be able to match what you're expecting from that that individual in that position. Mm -hmm. So did you want to mention specifically some of the assessment tools that you've used? Sure, sure. So the ones I've used as a company actually here in Colorado Springs called PDP Global. And their assessment tool um, is called ProScan. And the ProScan looks at four basic characteristics of an individual. They look at dominance. They look at extrovert. They look at what's called pace. And they look at conformity. So those are more patients and systems types of uh, attributes. So for an accountant, for example, you don't necessarily need somebody who's dominant. You don't need somebody who's an extrovert, but you certainly want somebody who has high conformity and high pace mm -hmm. because you want them, they're, they're systems people and they like systems, they like details. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be in high extrovert. For, for example, though, if you want, if you're looking for a customer service person, you don't necessarily want high dominance, but you would like to have a high extrovert and uh, because you want people, people type people. And then you would want people to be able to follow systems if you've got systems in place, but that doesn't necessarily have to be as high on the priority list. So you, you touched on uh, this baseline of, of knowledge on other people that have been hired. And I think you were relating to the, the car wash uh, business in particular, but what, what if you don't have that? then how do you compare it or how do you know if someone's a fit or not? If you don't have a model? Right. If you don't have that that uh, baseline of other employees, or you gave the example of managers that were fit. If you don't have that history, then how do you compare it? How does it help you still? Yeah, there's, there's a couple. There's another tool I like to use, which is from the Colby Corporation. So they, uh, they have a tool that looks at people's innate instincts and uh, – uh, for example, uh, they'll look at uh, if you're a quick start. So, do you have or you have a lot of high a lot of ideas? Um, they'll look at something like follow uh, follow through. So, are you high on the follow through list or low on the follow through list? And what they'll do is they'll let you actually create a model. So, they'll put you through a series of questions that you can answer for this particular role. So, do you need somebody who's um, highly organized or does organization doesn't really matter. And you might make those selections. You might make between 30 and 60 selections. And then based on that, you'll actually come up with a, a perfect person for that role. You put that into your system. And then as you get candidates, you can compare the candidates with that particular role model. Okay. And then there's a lot of organizations that use that. So for as a small business owner, for my hourly employees, for my line employees, is this something that's affordable, do you think, or do you reserve it for a higher level position? So the way we use it, a couple of ways you can use it, and I've seen it used where uh, if you make an application, some organizations, if you make an application, then the first thing they'll do is they'll turn around and get you to fill out this particular assessment. That, that can be somewhat expensive uh, because you haven't done any the screening process at that point. Well, the way we use it is if we have a candidate we think we like, we'll go ahead and give them one of the assessment tools and then we'll take a look at them. So we do it uh, after the screening and after the interview. Okay. If we think we want to take them to the next step, then at that point we will give them the assessment. The assessment run, any assessment will run between 30 and $50. Okay. All right. So it's actually not a big investment. And for the time and energy and effort you have to put into someone to train them, and get them up to speed. You want to make sure that they're fundamentally a good fit. Yeah, and I think that's that's 
probably one of the key points is we, and it ties to the overall theme, I think, that we tend to rush the process and cut corners, but we don't look at the overall investment that we're about to make in this employee uh, from a training, from a ramp up, the disruption, all of those things that add up to time and money if we select the wrong person. Right. And as a business owner, we've talked about this a few times, but so all of a sudden you've got a hole in your organization, you need to fill it. So you're in a state of desperateness Mm -hmm. anyway you're ready to get that position filled so you can continue on with what you're doing. You're in a little bit of a state of being desperate. You've got candidates who want a job who are telling you that, yeah, I want this job and I'm a great fit and I'm unqualified. And if you're not careful, then you're hearing the things you want to hear and you're not thinking about and hearing the things that you should hear to decide if that person's a good fit or not. Right. And so using an assessment tool can also can be that wake up call or that, wow, am I just really starting to like this person and I'm not being objective? It doesn't look like it's a fit. Now it's just one input. And like you said, some organizations say if it's not a fit according to the assessment, then it's it's a showstopper. Others maybe like us, maybe we've used it as an input and then we we kind of decide if it is or isn't a showstopper. Um, so it just depends on how you want to apply it, but it seems like more and more when we ignore it, we end up paying the price later, don't we? Yes. And that's exactly what I was going to talk about was the fact that the more I ignore that, the more I regret it. And I'll give you a quick example. So one of the positions we have for somebody who loads cars, we, the model says they have to be a high extrovert. And about six months ago, we hired somebody Looked like a great candidate, had great mechanical skills, looked like it was a good fundamental fit, but is a low extrovert, very low on the scale as far as extrovert is concerned. Mm -hmm. And that person has done pretty well for the first two to three months. And then you're starting after the two or three month time period, then you start to see the true individual. So I've heard this many times at about 60 or 90 days is when you're going to see the true individual. This person does not like interacting with customers, does not like staying in the tunnel, and it's just the the job is starting to grade on this person because it's not a good fit. They don't they're not excited about seeing customers come in, bring them a little smile, and make them happy. Yeah. And just to clarify for our listeners, we're we're talking about David's car wash business there, and a, a loader is the person as for all of you who have gone to a car wash. It's that person that guides you on. It's often the uh, the only face you see to a car wash and in certain types of car washes. So it's got to be a person that enjoys interacting with people. You know, but that, that's a good example of where I ignored the assessment and wanted to hire somebody. They seemed like a good fit, and I'll probably ultimately pay the price for mm-hmm. it. Okay, excellent. So assessment tools, we mentioned PDB Global. Uh, Colby is another tool that we've used, correct? That's and, correct, and, and yeah. we'll share more information about those tools in the show notes. We use that. We're, we're starting to learn more and more to use that uh, as a key component of screening someone. Um, and we're getting better and better at using that. We recommend to small business owners that you think about incorporating that into your process so that you can get better at it, especially since, again, as we mentioned at the outset, most of us don't have the luxury of a human resources department that can go through a formal process to help us with this. We have to do it ourselves. So these tools can help us with that. It can it can augment where, where we might be weak or just to help us avoid Uh, falling in like with someone uh, who may not be the right fit. 
Right. Um, and, and so I had a discussion with somebody from the strategic coach who uses Colby exclusively. They give Colby scores to all their clients mm, too. So when, when you go in to strategic coach offices, everybody has a Colby score on their name tag. Mm, interesting. And everybody who comes to the class has a Colby score on their name tag. So when you look at this individual, <clears throat> you're looking at their score, which tells you, you know, a lot about that individual and they will not hire somebody if they're not a certain percentage fit. Very interesting. They, they just will not do it. So I think they found over the years, even though they might lose some people that might've been good for the position, if they feel like if they're not fundamentally have the, the right type of in instincts and innate qualities for that position, they typically don't, they, they just will not hire them at this point. Okay, so let's move on to the second point I wanted to cover in this episode. And in the first episode on hiring, we talked about some interviewing tactics and practices. We want to come back to that at an overall, at a higher level, and talk about what you and I kind of, and to be honest, it kind of crystallized for us here in the last couple of weeks as we've been discussing this topic. And that is this approach of a two-step interview process, which means you interview for uh, skills first, and then for personality fit. Let's let's speak to that, if you would. In some of these therapy sessions that Henry's <laughs> have had, had with me for over the couple of years, I say, why am I such a bad interviewer? Henry and I both have a sales background, and salespeople are the easiest people to sell to because we just like that environment. We get excited about people. Uh, we tend to skip over you know, some of the things that we need to be thinking about. And uh, what I typically do in an interview process is I sit there and the, the mistakes I've made is I try to figure out if this person is a, is a good fit. So I try to get to know them. I'm trying to make them feel comfortable in the interview process because I know they're feeling a little uncomfortable. I try to sell them on the position up front. I typically never get to the hard questions as far as are you really qualified for this job? Do you really have the skills necessary to perform these these functions. Uh, Henry and I did a joint interview uh, probably about two weeks ago. Right. Oh. And I listened to Henry do that interview on the phone. It was a, it was a screening call. And I realized what the one thing you're very good at is you'll sit down and go through the list, their resume in detail to figure out exactly what skills these particular people have and where they've used those skills. That's right. And, and it's a very matter-of-fact interview style. Right. And so for our listeners, what we tactically, I, I think, will continue to work well for us. And again, part of it is the dynamic that I'm in Dallas and David is in Colorado Springs, is I will do an initial phone call interview. And that's where I'm doing more of the skills assessment. And sometimes if you listen to it, it can almost be called more of an interrogation than an interview. Uh, <laughs> certainly my purpose is not to be uh, difficult or to make somebody's experience miserable. That's that's not my objective. But there are times when I'm trying to make somebody uncomfortable so I can get what I'm really getting after. We spoke to that a bit in our previous episode on interviewing skills. But let's keep it at this higher level of what we're looking for. So I think this is an approach that we're going to continue to take, which is an interview. And that could be the initial phone interview where we're assessing skills. I really want to dig in to know if, for example, this person really knows QuickBooks or they really understand enough accounting for the position I'm looking to fill, or they really understand 
whatever it is that I have identified, if we go back to, we said you need to define the job description for this person, what they're supposed to be able to do, what their skill sets should be, what the outcomes should be, then I'm trying to make sure I can validate that by asking very specific pointed questions. And then the second interview, which is likely what you would do face-to-face, is about do we like this person? Because that is important also. It's not that that's not important. It's that often sometimes we start with that and then we just softball the questions on whether they actually have the skills to perform the job. Because if you figure out you like them or you think you can get along with them, the rest of it at that point in your mind doesn't matter. No, you're justifying it, right? Now you're just you're right. just justifying why this is the person. Right. But again, it's I'm not uh, we're we're certainly understand that point because you do have to like them. We we started the conversation with that very point. In our small organizations, we don't have the luxury of burying someone in our organization who's brilliant and is really good at this, but I don't have to interact with them, so I'll bury him three or four levels deep. We don't have that luxury, most of us, right? Right, right. And most people, this is what I was told 20 years ago, and I think it still holds true today, is most people are interviewed for personality mm-hmm. and not skills. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, this was something I, I got coached on uh, in my sales career when I was hiring salespeople. And, and, I, and I caught it that we, I, I was having a tendency to want to hire people like me and overlooking people who were exceptionally qualified and would have made great sales and pre-sales people. But I was overlooking them because I didn't like them. And so that was a right. big mistake that, I've, that I tried to work on correcting. But it's human nature, certainly. Right. And I think if you can divide these two up, you're, you're telling yourself you're doing a skills interview and then you're doing a, I don't know what you want to call it, a personality interview mm-hmm. or fit interview. Right. If you're dividing those two things up and you, you know at the end of that interview, if you cannot definitively say this person is qualified, they've done this particular role or task before, they've been successful in it. If you can't definitively say that, then you didn't get what you needed in the interview process. Right. And then you add that third element of an assessment tool that gives you that other objective point of view. And what we're saying is those three things, that approach, I think, can help most business owners get that much better at the hiring process, right? So if you were going to hire a bookkeeper, give me two or three skills that you would look for, and then how would you interview for those? Well, for the bookkeeper position, certainly I think we look for someone who has good attention to detail, um, can can focus on something that you and I might consider mundane, but but that's what they enjoy doing. So precision and attention to detail is important to them. And then, of course, they have to have some accounting knowledge. We're not hiring a CPA usually when we hire a bookkeeper. We, we hire that out. So that, that bookkeeper has to have some basic accounting knowledge. So for, for those types of things, I might ask uh, on the skills level, exactly for them to describe uh, the accounts payable process, for example, in a previous position. And I'm listening for complexity. Was it really, did they just cut checks or did they really have to think through the process? Was there actually accounting work involved? What, what was the process exactly? So I let them describe that. And then if I'm getting not necessarily what I want to hear, I might ask a further pointed question uh, might say, for example, so did you set did you set up the chart of accounts for the coding? And I listen to the response to that will tell me if they understand accounting. Not that I'm an accounting guru, but I understand enough to know this person needs to know 
at least as much as I do on the topic. So th- okay. those might be some of the tactics that I take. So you, you come up with a subject and then you might ask three or four questions That's right. to kind of support that question. Does this person have extended accounting skills? Right. Or enough to meet the position that we're trying to hire. Right. right. That's, that's right. the important thing. Good. So what are the questions that you mentioned uh, that uh, you picked up from Dan Sullivan? I think he, he developed it or certainly the, the R factor question as he calls it. Um, tell me about this question. The question is this, uh, if we were meeting, this is something you would ask someone you're interviewing. If we were meeting three years from today and you were to look back over those three years to today, what has to have happened during that period, both personally and professionally, for you to feel happy about your progress? I've never asked that question. It's a big question. It's a big question. Do you, when do you think you would use a question like that, and, and how effective do you think it is? You would use it. I think it's a good question to use for anyone because it gets it throws them completely off. It's a question they're not mm-hmm. expecting and they haven't thought about. Right. But what they're looking for, and it's a question that, that – uh, the strategic code group ask both on the screening call and in person because they want to see somebody's personal reaction as they're saying this, but they're looking for people who have a good idea of where they want their future to be. If they haven't really thought about why they want this particular job or they're just looking for a job differentiates the people that say, no, I want to work here versus I just want to work. And it also gives them a future focus. If they're, they want to hire people who are future focused that have a clear under or pretty clear understanding of what what they want in the future and how this particular position is going to help them get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things I would listen for, certainly in positions, um, in administrative positions, manager positions, those types of positions where there's some decision making, where they can have an impact on the growth of our business. I'd I'd want to hear something related to that they would like to have been challenged by uh, growth and learning. And that they had an opportunity to do both. I, I think that's one thing I would listen for. Because that right. means that someone who really wants to come on, be challenged and grow. Not someone who just wants to do the same thing they've always done. They don't want to think outside their little box. And that's someone who maybe fits better in a corporate environment where they're one of uh, 50 accountants, let's say. Or one of 20 bookkeepers. Or one of 30 managers. In a small business environment like ours, we need people who can think, who can can be resourceful, who want to learn new things because our environments are ever changing, ever evolving. Right, right. I was just going to ask you why you think that's so important yep. for small business, but I think you just answered yep. that question. Yeah, that's that's the big point because because that's the nature of it. And so we've found that people who come from a corporate background sometimes are challenged with that because they're used to continuity, they're used to the same thing every day, and there's a certain level of comfort that they've gotten from that a certain sense of security, albeit false security. And in our small business environments, like those who are listening, things are changing all the time. Um, I, I, I think I know what this position will entail. I, I know it's certainly going to take going to be always about uh, uh, accounts payable and payroll, but there's other projects, there's other things, there's changing situations. We, we might buy or sell a business, we might uh, get into a different offering. So there's always change in our environment. And so someone has to want to embrace that. Right. And they have to be interested in they have to be interested in a lot of different things. I think in a corporate environment, you can sort of specialize to the point where you don't, you know, your roles and tasks are pretty limited, mm-hmm. but 
in small businesses, you've got to be willing to do lots of different things. All right. So we've talked about assessment tools, using that in the process. We've talked about this two-step interview process that we're trying to apply more now where you interview perhaps first for skills and then if the person passes that that uh, measure then you're interviewing them more for personality uh, to make sure they're a fit into your team into working with you into your environment because as you've said it very well many times dave you want to walk into your places of business and feel energized feel happy you'd you have no desire, and that's one of the freedoms that we seek as small business owners, is that hopefully if we attain any level of success, part of that is manifested in that we get to work with the people with whom we want to work. Right? That's right. That's right. And I think it's very important. Um, you got to have somebody that appreciates and and understands small business and understands small business owners and some of the challenges that they go through because – at the end of the day, you're the person that's ultimately responsible for everything that goes on there. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure and stress that gets put on you as a result. And if you have somebody who doesn't understand that or looks at you as the guy that makes all the money, they look at you as you're the guy that makes money because of me, mm-hmm. they're probably not the right fit. That's right. That's right. So we've spoken to this point, which is to invest in the process. We, we started on that with the part one episode on this topic, and we've continued it here. So the overriding theme, hopefully, our listeners are taking away is that this is a process. It's not just a one-off. We get it. We're challenged with the things that were already on my desk to do, the things that I need to do for the business on a daily basis. And then now this sometimes is treated as a distraction. Oh, I have to go fill this position. So we have a tendency to shortcut it. We have a tendency to, to rush through it and not follow our process. And that's, I think, where we make most mistakes. Um, we're going to begin to wrap it up, but where we'll take this next on a subsequent episode is that it doesn't end on the higher. And so I want to just end with that theme. We won't go into the details of that, but this concept that you and I have talked about, Dave, that often we as small business owners want to declare victory at the higher, right? Right, right, exactly. And we, as soon as we hire that person, we give them a day or two of training, here's the employee manual, and then go on and get, get busy and get to work. That's right. <clears throat> Very frustrating for the new hire, but also you then you are going to have a person who now has the ability to do a poor job for a longer period of time until you figure out they're not a good fit. Yeah. And so we'll speak to this point in a subsequent podcast. We'll dive into that process afterwards and what you need to have in place there. We've touched on it. Training is, of course, part of it and making sure you have pr- probably a probationary period is another good tactic. So, so those are things that we've tried to implement. But but no doubt, you know, let's be honest, we, we both uh, are subject to that and guilty of feeling like, well, we're done. We, we've hired the person. Good. That's off my task list. I can move on to what I really do. Right. So right. it's a big challenge. We, we're not saying we are past this. This is something we struggle with every day as well. Yeah, this is a huge challenge. And I would just implore you, if you're a small business owner, you've got to get good at this. Yes. You've got to develop skills in this area. It will make your life 100% better or 100% worse if you don't figure out some good, effective ways to bring on good people on your team. Agreed. Okay, good, good. Well, thanks, Henry, for this episode of The How of Business. If you enjoy these episodes, please give us some comments on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. And go to our website at thehowofbusiness.com. 
And for Henry and for David, thanks for listening. And we'll look forward to hearing from you next time on The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by levantebusinessgroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dreams.